Welcome to Opus Private Clients Wealth Style Podcast. All of the material discussed on our podcasts have specific themes, and that's to move your wealth and lifestyle forward, increase your purpose, and provide you with clarity and confidence. Opus's mantra is always forward. We have found that regardless of one's wealth, moving your lifestyle forward is the number one priority for our clients. On our podcast, we'll share our rich 35 years of experience in designing strategies, share clients' experiences, and introduce resources that have positively impacted our clients. We trust that you will enjoy our direct, transparent, and realistic approach to positively impacting the quality of you and your family's lives. Now, on to the show. Hello, and welcome to the, another episode of the Opus Wealth Style Podcast. My name is Yvonne Watanabe, on with my co-host and colleague, Evan Wall. What's going on, Evan? How's it going, Yvonne? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. Um, I am very excited to have on a good friend and client of yours, John Minkoff. What's going on, John? How are you? I am good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Evan, since you're so familiar with John, why don't you give him you know, the, a proper intro here? I'll, uh, I'm going to keep this brief, but uh, let's see if I get this right. John, uh, co-founder, CFO, CIO of uh, Ash NYC, private equity real estate developer. How, how's that? That's pretty close. That works. Pretty, pretty close. Uh, why don't you give us uh, just a little lay of the land of uh, your company, the different aspects of the company, and uh, and kind of where you guys came from. Sure. So uh, our company is more and more strategically kind of positioned as a holding company, but we operate the companies that we hold. Um, we have a private equity investment side of the business. We have an operating business that's a service business that uh, furnishes homes and does that whole business, which I'll get into. And then we have a hotel management company, which serves most of our private equity investments. Uh, we we have some uh, non-hospitality investments, but for the most part, the hotel management company, which is a separate entity, runs uh, each of those investments. And my, and my job is really just to kind of pay attention to it all and hopefully uh, help maneuver it in the right directions from a financial and an investment perspective, or at least that's what I tell myself. <laughs> I think you're being a little <laughs> modest there, but... <laughs> Um, you know, the, part of the reason we wanted to have you on here is we have plenty of clients who uh, are often asking us about diversification away from traditional investments and want to get some exposure to real estate. Now, you have a unique perspective on real estate investing. And so I'm sure there are some differences, but uh, also some crossovers. So as it relates to investing in real estate, maybe for the lay person, are there, are there some key basics that you're looking for or areas uh, that you think are fundamental to real estate investing? Yes. I mean, I think that real estate investment is unique in that, uh, certainly speculative by nature, but it's so, it's so slow moving and it's different than, you know, other trades. So it's just, it's its own world. You know, we always joke, there's like the private equity real estate guys, and then there's like everybody else in real estate in private equity. And it's like, there's, we're totally different groups. You know, it's like you're in a room and we're in one area and they're everywhere else. And, um, you know, for, for us, you know, real estate and thinking about it, like, I mean, when we're going to buy property, it's, you know, we think about location, obviously everybody says that, like, you don't want to buy something uh, for us that you can't sell. Um, if you buy in a very unique location, 
uh, that can be positive or negative. You've got to look at how many people will actually buy your real estate. And then not that we always are really planning to sell it, but you still you, like what's the it's only worth what someone will buy from it. But, um, you know, we look a lot at replacement cost. You know, when we're going to buy a building, we say, well, how much would it cost to actually build this building versus, you know, what's in it versus the improvements that we would want to put in it? We look at like the we look at the end income of what the what the building is going to be able to to produce. Right. So. You know, value is driven by a lot of different things, but ultimately value for the most part on operating investments, trades based off of, you know, how well the the asset performs, you know, uh, from an NOI perspective. So from a net operating income perspective. So, you know, those are the key things we look at. And you, you don't want to be overly invested in an asset. You don't want to buy something and put more money in it than it's going to cost to sell it. And then for us specifically, we participate in markets where there's strategic opportunities with incentives. So we focus on markets where there's available tax credits and stuff like that. That reduces the risk as a whole. Um, it brings in a lot of outside capital that is, it's it's like, I don't want to call it free capital, but you're, you're utilizing incentives and tax incentive financing and stuff like that. So we're often looking in very strategic markets that allow us to participate in those programs to help hedge some of the initial investment in what we're doing. So that's a really long answer, but that uh, real estate's not as straightforward as, you know, buying it. Like if you're buying into a REIT, that's one thing, but it's very different when you're actually executing on the, on the project. Each one is its own little business in a lot of ways. Yeah. It's interesting. I think one of the things that sort of is pops up and, and every time I have this conversation with retail clients that are looking for an investment opportunity in real estate, um, they get too emotional about the purchase, right? They sort of, many of them are like, oh, I don't really, you know, I don't, I don't know if I could see myself living here. I'm like, no, no, no. It's about, it's about the economics, right? It's simply yeah. about the, it's about how is it going to cash flow, not about do you see yourself living there? And then when they furnish this place, many of them will furnish it as if they were going to live there themselves. And and they don't treat it as much of a business as I would like to see them. You know, it should be solely about the numbers, right? Is this a good investment? Can I maximize on yeah. this thing? Not, you know, do I see myself here and could I envision myself, you know, buying this? I think that's right. I mean, I think there is still a huge gut part about real estate. You got to know you're buying something that makes sense. That's like will be appreciated by people because it still sure. is like a tangible asset. But yes, I think that, you know, investment real estate and personal real estate are two totally different things in my mind. I don't look at the house I live in um, as a investment. I hope that it's worth more money. Granted, it does have a rental unit in it, but I, I, I don't, I think of it as my home, you know, I don't think of it as a real estate investment. It's, it is by like default, but like, it's not, it, it's not a business choice to earn an income. Right. Um, and so, you know, I highly separate you. Get, I mean, we started our business with the idea of buying real estate, figuring out what is the highest and best use for it, whether it was a piece of ground, whether it was a, building that already existed, whatever it is. And you say, what is the highest and best use? And you have to be able to basically, you know, one plus one has to equal three at the end of the day. Otherwise, what's the point of taking the risk? So, you know, I think that's very much about 
looking at real estate unless you're doing a passion project. The problem with it is there are guys out there that do do passion projects and there are guys out there that you basically can't compete with because they're playing in a different game. But that's the nature of everything. You know, uh, there are investors, particularly in hospitality, that will make investments that don't make money. Gotcha. Just for, and, just for, just cause they love what they're doing. I mean, like they'll end up making money, but they have so many like less different obstacles, right? Like they won't finance things. They'll just do them all cash. You know, they'll do stuff that most people would be prohibited because the return on the risk is not as, you know, where we're looking at a 20 plus return as a minimum threshold because it's a high risk investment you know these guys can be patient on a six percent return over time it's you know wealthy families do it you just see it you know like you see it like the large you think of any of these corporate companies right they have a family member in there who wants to own cool real estate you mm -hmm. know they compete you know in that world uh but for the most part you know it's it has to deliver you know when you're doing the assessment over the last sort of two, three years during COVID and the cost of goods increasing substantially. How has it changed like the mechanics of your analysis with, like you said, can we replace this thing if we wanted to start off and buy it from new or fixing it up? Has it shifted your approach when you're making these investments over the last couple of years? Or has it been, you know, have you found one a little bit more frequent than the other? How's it, how's it been shifting it? We strategically focus on historical rehab. So okay. for me, I am much more focused on buying buildings that exist that I'm going to have to do substantial rehabilitation to. We, with that said, you know, and the replacement cost really only comes into play when you're buying an existing building. With that said, we were, you know, we, we're not afraid of the new construction element of certain things right now. You just watch it like everything else. You know, the trades of the prices have gone up and down like crazy. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the commodities, you know, uh, timber has come down, um, you know, but the, it's hard to be too crazy. The one thing COVID taught us, particularly in the hospitality realm of things, is it was going to be really hard to find capital out there. So, you know, we were already underwriting our, now we're talking about historically low interest rates at the time. We were already underwriting deals at nine and 10%, um, you know, three, four times what we were paying in some cases before. And we are, so we were kind of out ahead of it on that side. The construction costs, you just kind of got to deal with and materially play with, but, you know, we understand that we, we basically build in a larger standard deviation. You know, you have bigger contingencies and a lot of it comes down to the type of contract you deal with when you're dealing with your contractors and you're dealing with whoever you're dealing with, you know, you can structure contracts to limit, to, to push risk in different, different directions. Gotcha. And how how have how have the dynamics been recently with the banks and sort of lending? Like, what's the current economic environment for you in the space that you're in? Private equity investing, you know, specifically with historical properties. Like, how does how has it changed? You know, what what are what are you seeing out there? And and we're right now and recording this December 2022. Like the his shift has already begun from quantitative easing to quantitative tightening, and you know who knows where that'll end. So. It's an interesting time to be having this conversation. 
I mean, to, to Evan's point, we definitely are in a, in a point of uh, quantitative tightening. The, borrowing in the hospitality industry is always tricky. I work in an, in an independent, you know, I, I always have this joke. I go into these lending meetings when I'm dealing with like regular balance sheet lenders, your traditional bank, you know, the whether it's a community bank or a capital one, you know, a traditional bank, you know, not an insurance company. And I always come in and I'm like, let me tell you guys, a non-flagged hotel, right? I'm building in a historic building. I'm utilizing all kinds of tax credit incentives. I'm only asking for about 45% loan to cost, but like, I need to tell you all of this information. And it's a hotel in a, in a town you probably don't love. But like, I'm like, if you guys are, if you guys are into that, you know, I am, I am, I am your customer, you know? And I always put that out there because I, I it's hard for me to finance products anyway. For all of it's, the independent bankers that are listening out there, maybe, you know, John is in the market to find cheap capital. <laughs> so is everyone, though, you know, <laughs> the um, mine is harder for the capital markets guys to place. You know, um, I was joking and I won't mention who they are but with my debt broker who handles a lot of my capital markets needs. I closed on this loan in New Orleans today, actually, and I I yes. was joking with him. Thank you. I uh, it was basically just a straight take out of another one. But it, it, I was joking to him, and I was saying, you know, you you, I'm going to invoice you for my fee because I introduced you to the community bank, facilitated the whole closing. Right? I don't understand, you know, the market value here. Um, and it just so happens sometimes that's the way it goes when you're you're dealing with it. And historically, they've created great markets for me. And this one, I just happened to find the right person and so you know you, you you pay no matter what is my opinion but 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 either way i mean we we the bank market is always challenging hospitality is particularly challenging if you're willing to pay for it you can go to debt funds you can go to the private market we try to avoid that because we don't like a lot of those lending relationships but it's always challenging right now it's even more challenging because I think the banks are staring at the same risks that you guys just noted, you know, increased cost of construction, uh, even even the uh, supply chain impacts are still are still very relative, I think. So, you know, it's harder right now. So how do you manage that? I mean, isn't interest rates are kind of fundamental to your the growth of your business or the management of your business? How do you how do you manage it in a rising interest rate environment? And you know, maybe what are some key takeaways that an individual real estate investor can can kind of leverage as well? Well, don't be an idiot with your loans is like the first thing that yeah. I could say. And pay, your, pay, <laughs> pay your mortgages, you know, no matter what. But, you know, I'm very careful with the loans we take on. Uh, you know, I am, you know, we, we're dealing mostly with fixed interest rate loans. You know, we're dealing with terms that have provisions that allow for extensions, Oftentimes, when they don't, they're protected with a swap loan, which, you know, we won't get into the details of that. But, you know, the derivatives market, you can hedge your interest rates a little bit. And so when you take a loan that's based off of that, so you have to think about each the purpose of the loan, right? Like an insurance, right? Like, why are you buying insurance? You have to have a purpose to buy the insurance, right? Like you're not just buying it, like you're insuring something, right? Well, why are you taking on a loan, right? And what is your risk, right? So if we have recourse on a loan, we're extremely limited, right? We're not gonna take on anything we can't like take on. 
And, you know, we're willing to hold it. You know, the, the, the crazy interest rate market right now has only really been a year and a half, right? Mm -hmm. Like max. And to be honest, like the real implications came, you know, Q2, Q3, if that, when you got those big things with the big 75 basis points increases. So my thought process is, is be patient, right? Like I was able to close on this loan today. We had secured a deal a little while back and they recut me on interest rate. I mean, but it was still below market and we facilitated a six and a quarter percent interest rate over a 10 year term. And it's, it's perfect. And it's, it's like, but two years ago, I would have thought I was out of my mind on a performing asset with a great trailing record that did fine during COVID, right. That I would have <laughs> that type of interest rate. And to be honest, it's a home run. If you price it today, it's probably eight and a quarter, you know, on that same loan. So, you know, that was smart. We weren't like, all right, we're, we couldn't get, it was, we had to pair, two community banks to participate together to get the loan in order, right? But they had more flexibility and in interest rate because they're like tranches that go out way slower than other banks. And we said, listen, we're, and they got a great loan to value. I mean, we, it was a $12 million loan on a $27 million appraisal. And that's all the money we had to take out. And we just said, you know what? We're going to take it out right now. We actually reduced our construction rate interest rate. Uh, we reduced our cash flow by over a hundred thousand dollars a year. And so you think through it and you're like, well, what is the purpose of this loan? Ideally in my business, we're trying to take loans out with more proceeds in order to take cash out, right? That's the main way we make money. And so normally I'd be like, well, why am I going to refi this pay fees to refi it? Not to take any money out because it's the right loan for that asset. You're not going to find anything better for it. And so we made that choice. That's the smartest thing you can do with debt is just really don't be an idiot. Like <laughs> I, I know it sounds you heard stupid. it here first. And and if you if you are gonna lever the heck out of something, make sure you have no recourse on it and you are so comfortable handing those keys over, right, with confidence. Cause that that to me, if you don't have that mindset, then you know it's an investment. You know, you gotta be willing to play that, play that risk. But our firm, we don't we don't really over leverage things. You know, we have no, we're, we're kind of slow and steady, you know, but it, it depends. Different guys with different assets will leverage the crap out of them. So in a rising interest rate environment, get fixed rates when you can. Pay Always close get fixed rate. Play close, close attention to the terms and have as much flexibility built in a, a, as you can. Yeah. And work with good lenders, right? Like the reason why I was talking about banks before is you work with a bank, you can call your banker and say, Hey man, I got a problem or Hey, whoever I have a problem, right? <laughs> if you're working with the derivatives market and you're working with traded loans, right? Like you're calling up a servicing center and they're, you're just an odds, a calculation in their system, right? Whether you have a hundred million dollar loan or you have a $2 million loan, right? You they're like, sorry, no flexibility, pay your interest. We don't like that isn't how this, it's a bond-based market, right? Like it, you don't pay, you don't pay. It's like all calculated, you know, it's bigger, you know? So I think in stressful times, be careful with who you borrow with because it looks really bad for a bank to default on a loan. They usually want to work with you. Most of these relationships are really good. If you work in the CMBS market and the conduit market and all those other different types of borrowing markets, even though the real estate-based, you know, their plan, their plan is 6% of the loans are going to go bad. 10%, you know, they have all these calculations. They don't care about, you know, the asset or the relationship. If you have a super strong performing asset where you've already financed out all your money and basically limited your risk, 
in my mind, that's when you go play in those in those worlds and you go do that because you've taken you've taken your your equity off the table. But in yeah. volatile times, I hate working with agencies and stuff like that that are challenging to to know that you can't pick up the phone and call them. Yeah, I think one of the things that I've learned recently, and, and you're sort of elaborating on the point, is it's you want to be con in con as much control as you can about how you're getting access to capital, right? Because if you don't have great relationships and you didn't set that up during good times, or you didn't have you know well solid performing assets, or you didn't have you know assets to go to to even leverage appropriately when when things are going well you can't then go ask for the money, right? It's, it's really difficult to try to go ask for something when the markets that you can't control and interest rates are rising and the environment is tough and you're not the most attractive buyer on the street, they're not going to lend to you. And so you either lose out on opportunities or you, you know, you're, you're not able to do the things that you want to do. And the thing we've been preaching to clients for years is, you know, having that flexibility and that optionality being as as much control as you can be in when the times are great so that you're not the one you know holding the bag when times are tough you yeah, know what no, I, mean? I think that's a hundred percent a hundred percent right i mean it, it's the markets right now are very are very weird and you know you just need you, I, I think tied to that is being comfortable with what you do right like don't like Obviously, every human wants to take themselves out of some sort of comfort level. Like, that's how we grow, or at least that's how I believe we grow, right? Like, you take yourself out of your comfort zone, you, you grow, right? But, like, you have to do that incrementally and within reason, particularly mm -hmm. when you're investing and you have money and stuff like that. And control is a key part of that. If you can't, if you can't uh, reverse a little, then, then, you know, that sometimes can be really, really tough. And especially if you, make that decision i mean i look at all these people that must have lost so much money in the stock market over the last like so many months but like how much money they also made or thought they made you know in the historical months and i say mm -hmm. i say you know like these people were so happy and they're so quick to be like look i make that look look at all my money right and then it, it was but then when it goes away right it's like i can't believe my money it's like it was never there like, <laughs> <laughs> you know you're, you're, it's not like you're losing money you, you you're just back to where you started um i i don't know i think i think having those controls and being smart is is wise um how, you know how, how much of your how much of your business would you say is trying to is, is to get a really solid understanding of the current interest rate environment, but more importantly, like where it's heading. Is that, does that play a big role or it's more so? No, it's huge. I mean, all of our underwriting, we spend so much time as a group on the investment team, just talking about like, where should rates be? You know, like, is it really like smart to think you're going to have a 9% interest rate in four years? Like that just doesn't seem practical, right? Like the purpose of high interest rates right now are to slow the economy, not to maintain the economy. You know, our, our world exists as I understand it. I'm not other than, you know, what you read, right. We're kind of like this, like five, three to five, 6% like world of interest rates. That's how our, our economy is like kind of supposed to work, right? Like that's what they're always striving. And when it gets too hot, they crank up the rates and, you know, and they bring them down to stimulate stuff to create growth. So for me, it's like, I kind of keep in the back of my mind that like, if that's how it's supposed to work, right? Like 
right, wrong, or indifferent, right? We have to kind of keep that in mind. So we got to say, like, if we're here today in all practicality, right, the market's going to continue. And they, and they just noted, right, like, we're still going to do this, but they just did it at 500 basis points, mm -hmm. right? I mean, at 50 basis points. So market, markets would be in turmoil. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that would be terrifying. Uh, that would be like a, a third world country situation. Um, but it's, I think that, you know, I, I look at time and I say, once you get out a certain amount of time, it's like if you're looking at the 10-year treasury, right? It starts to like, you, you got to balance it out and bring yourself back to kind of that normal. It's just, I really think in three years, we're always talking about what's it going to cost to borrow? Can we get it? You know, everything we, every construction loan we go into has five-year term from the date that it's placed in service. It's just like a model that we use. So we always have five years from the day that we go into the, the day that we open something or complete construction to, and I don't feel like, I, I mean, I've only been doing this for 15, 16 years or whatever it is, but at least within a five-year period, there's never been um, not an, a financial opportunity. I mean, look at the last, like, every five-year gap going back, right? Like, there was a period in those five years where there was a ton of opportunity. So if you make sure control that a length of time. So for us, it's really interest rates are much more in today's world and less about the exit. You hold until the market is right. To, to work within the financing market in at our company. You know, we're like mm -hmm. old school, you know, we aren't like, I'm not trying to squeeze every penny out of everything. You know, I'm willing to pay to hedge some risk. Gotcha. And where do you, where as a firm, where do you think that there's some opportunity going forward, you know, in the private equity real estate market? You know, is it, mm -hmm. you know, any, any particular demographics that you're, or geographic situations that you're seeing better than others, you know, any asset classes that you're thinking about that are better than others? Like, well, what are you guys seeing out there? I think you should go really long on office space right now in major downtown areas. No, I'm just joking. I think you're completely <laughs> That's facetious quite the take. Um, uh, you know, I think that like office is a hard thing to swallow right now. I, I, I mean, unique office is like, okay. You know, like we're doing a small boutique office project for, you know, like it has little suites and stuff in it. It's kind mm -hmm. of perfect for post COVID office life um this project was started before covid but it's it's uh, i don't know it, it really depends on the market you know i always like to go look in the markets like everybody else and say what's missing i really focus on hospitality right now so for me if the city doesn't really have fundamentals that support hospitality it's not as of interest to me currently but you know i think fundamentally i think that if you're going long on real estate you can stay in you know, major cities, there's nothing wrong with that in major metropolitan areas and suburbs that surround it. If you're trying to make money relatively quick in real estate, you know, under five years, you have to be in emerging markets. And I think there's a few of them. I mean, I think in hospitality, um, there's certain areas even in Los Angeles, but I like I like cities that are not primary cities. So, you know, I think there's a lot of opportunity in Philadelphia right now. Um, if you go internationally, I think there's a lot of opportunity in Montreal right now. Um, in the Midwest, I think there's opportunity in, in Kansas City. Uh, you know, you kind of have this Kansas City, St. Louis, like dual and Kansas City is clearly winning that one from what I can tell. Uh, I think in the South, you know, Florida's interesting. I think Miami has a ton of great hotels, but I think in the South, I like I like if you consider Florida the South, you know, I actually like kind of the the 
Palm Beach type area if you're going to be on the if you're going to be on the East Coast side because it sits in an interesting area. All of these are kind of like tired, but have underlying fundamentals of cities that I think make sense right now. Um, I just did a project in Baltimore. I, I have some apprehension about that city. I wouldn't go hard on that, but I do. I do love Richmond. We're building a hotel there. I think fundamentally that's a really interesting interesting place i think looking at places that have core service business uh banking um or any main driver like that you're gonna are gonna be your strongest bets you know strong education strong academia you know that's always what we're we're focused on but those are kind of the list of the cities that i'm like you know on twitter i would say i'm more uh actively chasing <laughs> down to see what's going on there uh, you know, I don't know if you guys get on like the Twitter hole, but like, you're like, all right. And then you start like in real estate, you get into cities and what's going on there. And then you like start to follow people there. And so it's kind of interesting. How do you, when you look at a city like, or, or sort of Florida, for example, and all of the natural disasters and, and sort of the concern about the frequency of hurricanes and severity of hurricanes, you know, um, how do you how do you factor that into your models? Like I I you know the cost insurance of, the co does it for you. Got it. Yeah, I mean because the cost of insurance down in the Florida is insane, wild, absolutely I have a wild. In Louisiana and New Orleans, I mean it's it's a joke. <laughs> yeah, I mean I pay three times what we pay for insurance down there relative to what I pay for it in the Northeast yeah. or in uh, the Midwest, uh, like 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 North Midwest. You know, it's 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 insurance eats it up, but you just you know the the good thing about the insurance market, even though you know it's going to always be kind of crazy, is you can price it relatively quickly, right? You call your insurance broker. Listen, I want to build a hotel there. They'll quickly be like, it's going to be X dollar per key you know very quickly you know and you're like all right it's i have to factor in x percentage of the budget but it is uh, it is mentally on my own like from like a personal perspective i would prefer not to invest in i'm torn because i don't want to invest in areas that like natural disasters are going to take over but like culturally so many of these places are super important mm -hmm. to like our country and stuff and like new orleans is a great example right like there's so much like amazing culture there granted like how long will new orleans like actually be around but like so you know it's kind of this like short-term long-term thinking ideally like you know i would like to invest in environmentally safe places but the truth is i mean hospitality and a lot of the fun places aren't like that you know that's why people right. went to them you know they're the coasts and the you know, it's, uh, you know, that's, it's, it's, it's interesting, you know, that's awesome. so, and then the good areas that aren't at risk are, are oversaturated. Like, <laughs> so that's, that's kind of the issue. So maybe a little bit away from real estate and more about just business management, and then we'll wrap up in a little bit, but now that, you know, for what, about a year now, we've been hearing constantly that there's gonna, there's a coming recession, or maybe we we've been living in it. Uh, how are you structuring your your businesses differently, kind of foreseeing that whether that comes to fruition or not? I would say that over the last like two quarters, whether it's through anecdotal observation or market performance within some of our companies, less the hotel levels, we're tightening. You know, we're just getting rid of residual, like, I hate, like, people are so important to what we do, right? So you always got to kind of, like, 
asterisk that like when you have this conversation, right? So I mean, no disrespect to any person in employment or, or employee or anything, right? So I kind of put that caveat out there, but you really got to look at your team and you got to see who's the most necessary and how much money you're spending on each person and where they're doing. I mean, personnel is huge for us. It's just a huge line item. We have a ton of employees, right? And they do a lot, but you know, we've spent a lot of time now looking at each one and understanding who's delivering value, who is growth factor, who is imperative to the company culture, right? Like if you have two people that do basically the same thing and you want to consolidate them, well, you want to get rid of the person that the other people don't like, you know, even if they're even slightly better at their job, if it's relatively equivalent, right? Because like when you fire someone or you terminate a position or get rid of a department, you, you, you need your teams to come closer together sometimes. So, you know, we've done a lot of it. You know, we've thought about expansion in, in additional real estate that we often take on. When I say that, I mean like office space or show houses or stuff like that, particularly in my other business, my service business, my staging business, where we model homes for people uh, before they, they market and then sell them. Definitely tried to trim down to make sure, you know, we don't see a huge growth year next year. So we're like, usually we're hiring ahead because, that's a growing business and it's kind of gone up double digit revenue every year. So we've continued to invest in it. Um, but like this year, we're like, no, we're going to hold back and we'll let the market dictate. We'll let market triggers bring people in versus planning ahead. Um, so we are tightening just across the mm -hmm. board, you know, less spending. You know, we had a lot of like meals programs. We went through everybody's like kind of credit cards and stuff. And, you know, we let things kind of fly for a little bit. We, you know, like within deviation, we've kind of reset the tone. That's like, don't take advantage of these programs. Like, so, you know, kind of resetting ourselves and telling people, you know, sometimes things are like really good and it doesn't matter if you take like an extra Uber a week or whatever. Now it's like, that's great, but put it on your credit card. Like, uh, And if I see it again, I'm going to remove your credit card because I don't want to have to go through an exception. You know what I mean? And I know those are little things, but they really do add up like month over month when you start to to drill down on them. And I, again, I don't know if it's what you're reading or anecdotal or what it is, but it has been pivotal for us. But it's kind of like spring cleaning. Again, that's where mm -hmm. like I go yeah. back to like this idea of like, I don't want to disrespect the people, you know, but it's spring <laughs> cleaning. You know, we got to, clean up the market's been really frothy through covid and every time mm -hmm. things started to be weird everybody got a half a million dollar check from the government to pay everyone or mm -hmm. whatever you're making just showing up right well they aren't coming anymore i mean so you know people you know i think got a little bit too comfy and got a little too like oh i feel bad it's covid i don't want to put people out but like now we live in a covid world we don't live in that world you know and it is what it is yeah but that we're definitely to your point of I think, you know, also you see it like there's better talent coming about too. You know, you see it like people historically who are harder to get, you know, we made some team replacements, you know, we hired some people where we can now get them at the cost, like salaries were crazy. Mm -hmm. Got to yeah. make some hard decisions. Absolutely. That's why inflation went up because everybody started paying everybody so much. So everybody just started, you know, just spending, 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 spending. They're like, all of a sudden, they make a hundred thousand dollars. You're now making two twenty. You make two hundred and twenty thousand dollars after making a hundred thousand dollars a year. You're going to start spending ridiculously. Some people <laughs> are. I hope your clients aren't, but you know, the human nature is to do that. You know, yeah. and there were a lot of crazy things. Like we saw crazy salary adjustments over the last few years. We, Way different than when I talk about that school. all the time.
Yeah. And that's and that's also why it's going to be so difficult to actually tamp out inflation because everyone's got more money, earning more money, and so the it's it it, it could take a while. Just like the stock market, man, they're going to have to get used to it. People are going to get paid yeah. less, right? You know, like sorry, like you know, like. I just really live in this world now where the material is so easy to get, you know, and it's like everybody, it's just a frothy world right now. It almost, it disvalues, you know, some of the other stuff because it's like too, too much, too excessive. So I, I, I go back to my spring cleaning thought process here and it's painful, you know, like it's painful as an operator. It's painful, you know, you feel it, it sucks, you know, but I think it, it, I think it was too frothy before, you know. Mm-hmm. I really John, do. I mean, I, the stock market was crazy. Yeah, I mean, it ha- it really has been. But John, this has been an awesome conversation. I think as we kind of wrap it up, are are there any particular things in general that you want to make sure that the audience kind of takes away from our conversation? Anything that, you know that you want to kind of leave them with? If they're staying in. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I think that. You know, the one thing I always tell people ask me always about real estate and investing in real estate, it's really a job, you know, it's not a passive thing. Like if you want to invest in real estate, you know, you can invest in funds like mine or people like that, where you have to find trusted people where, you know, you can go and invest in their deals at small amounts. And if you really want to get into those relationships, that's what I would recommend with people. I would not say, go try to buy a two family and rent it out and be your own super and your own especially if you have, especially if you don't have the time for it, you know, you Mm -hmm. have to make sure you have the time for it. It's not a hobby. So that's always my advice with real estate. People always feel like, Oh, I could just buy this. You know, you hear the story of the plumber, you know, who like goes and buys the two family and then, you know, does this and does this. Well, let me tell you something. A plumber knows how to fix a building, right? Me who grew up in a, you know, sheltered world, right? Like and educated differently. Like, you know, I, I don't like, I have to call a plumber and then I got to show up and make sure the plumber's there. Right. So, you know, there's a, it's not, it's hard, you know, and it's illiquid and, but it's, if you like it, it can be fun. It's just a full-time job. It's not a, it's a, it's not, you need to figure out a way to marry it with a real job at the same time, particularly in the beginning, because it takes forever to start paying off. Yeah. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. And John, where where can the listening audience find out a little bit more about you and sort of Ash NYC? I would say if you go to ash.world is our is my main company and you can kind of see everything that goes on there. It's really focused on the hospitality world and ashstaging.com, which is also on the website, really talks about our other business, which is another interesting thing that we do. Awesome. Well, John, appreciate you being on with us. I know the listening audience got a ton out of it. Um, and uh, and hopefully we'll get a chance to, to discuss a little bit more about some of the other businesses coming up soon. Cool. Well, I appreciate you guys. Um, and this is really fun. It's always nice talking to you guys. And yeah, you all bet. good. Awesome. Well, and thank you to the listening audience. Uh, we will um, let you know when new podcasts come out going forward. Please click subscribe below. Uh, So you'll be on the next notification when things pop up. Talk soon. Be well. Happy holidays, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Style Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available.
This podcast is for informational purposes only and is intended for general public use. By providing this content, Park Avenue Securities, LLC, and your financial representative are not undertaking to provide investment advice or make a recommendation for a specific individual or situation or to otherwise act in a fiduciary capacity. John Minkoff and his firm are not affiliated with or endorsed by PAS, Guardian, or Opus Private Client, and opinions stated are their own. Guardian and its subsidiaries do not issue or advise with regard to real estate or loans. Yvonne Watanabe and Evan Wool are registered representatives and financial advisors of Park Avenue Securities, LLC. Securities, products, and advisory services offered through PAS, member FINRA, SIPC, financial representatives of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York, PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Opus Private Client LLC is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. Opus Private Client LLC is not registered in any state or with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission as a registered investment advisor. Yvonne's California Insurance License Number 0H44206. Evans California Insurance License Number 0H04936. Compliance Approval 2022-147496 expires December 2024.